0: Lord, we're thankful for your word. Uh, thank you for preserving it. Thank you for uh, for uh, for authoring it uh, through uh, through uh, through human authors. You you've spoken, and, and it has been preserved, and it and it's it's good for us. It's true. Uh, it's it's flawless in places, Lord. It's confusing, but you give us your Spirit, and you give us minds to, to grow in understanding. And so we thank you for that. We pray you would work by your Spirit now that you would uh, you would. Prove yourself faithful on the promise that your word doesn't come back void, but God, produce uh, the change, the worship, the repentance, the joy, the encouragement, the the looking to Christ in each of us that you desire. Produce that now through the power of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was recently watching um, uh, a clip of a town hall meeting in New York City. Uh, New York City, uh, as you know, there's a lot of people that live there. Um, There's a town hall meeting about uh, schools being changed and zoning for schools changing which basically what that meant in New York City was that the, the have-nots were going to start coming to, to school with the haves. And guess who was not happy about that? The haves. And so I watched a clip of this, uh, of this town hall meeting, and my goodness, I have uh, rarely ever seen such chaos, such venom, such anger in an open-mic town hall setting. Uh, and it was, it was disturbing. Uh, and there was fighting uh, over the mic. There was trading of, of, of harsh words. There was just this sense that all these people were united in this room and yet they were completely divided amongst one another. Uh, they, were, they were all in this room uh, sort of around the same cause and trying to have this meeting in which they could hear from each other, understand one another, understand this problem, understand this opportunity and work through it. But no one could be heard because everybody was coming with their own agenda. Everybody was coming to make their voice known, everybody was coming for their own purpose, but not for the sake of the whole, for the sake of the neighborhood, to go and grow an understanding and to grow an awareness of this uh, problem, but also this opportunity. And when I watched that clip, it felt to me like a picture of the house church gatherings uh, that, that were happening in Corinth in the first century where you have the the Church of Corinth coming together to worship Jesus as a new church established in the most unlikely of places. Uh, People have been redeemed and saved by the good news of Jesus Christ. They're coming together to worship in homes, but as we've gone through this letter, we found out they were unified in their location, but they were very divided in reality. They were divided in terms of, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul, I love Peter's preaching and philosophy. Uh, well, I love Paul's preaching and philosophy. They were divided amongst each other by their lawsuits. They were divided amongst each other with the, with the haves getting uh, all the food and, and the communion and, and all the wine and communion and the have-nots having nothing. They were divided among each other also, as we look in this particular text, by spiritual gifts. There was a sort of stratification, a sort of ladder or hierarchy of which Christians were first class and which Christians were second class. Which, which Christians were, were VIP and, and, and which Christians were, uh, were LIP, right? The least important people. Which, which were in what place based on the spiritual gifts that they had? And so the spiritual gifts that were, that were treasured were uh, the ability to speak in tongues. The ability to, uh, to, to communicate with God in, a, in either foreign language or an unintelligible, unintelligible prayer language. And other gifts were, were, were looked down upon. The, the charismatic, the sophisticated, the, the elaborate gifts were prized, and everybody else was, was uh, meant to feel second class. And not only that, the Corinthians were using these gifts, not for the purpose of building up the whole, but for their own reputation, self-centeredness, and personal agenda. And so Paul, as we saw last week, corrects this by giving this beautiful uh, treaty about love. And how Christ is the embodiment of love, and we are to reflect that. And now the Apostle Paul, now that he has laid the foundation that spiritual gifts are not for your own good, but for the common good. That spiritual gifts are not for self-seeking, but are to be done in a spirit of love. The Apostle Paul has now prepared the Corinthian church to know what it looks like to then seek the spiritual gifts. Now this is an important text for us, because if we look at this text, you're going to find that there is a, a chance, a strong chance that in your discipleship to Jesus, there has been something missing. That this text is going to call you to seek something that for many of us in our discipleship to Jesus, we have not sought. We're also going to see in this particular text that God so deeply desires to encourage us, to draw near to us and to build us up, that he actually gives and manifests his spirit in us and through us, that we might build one another up by reminding one another of his nearness and of his presence. And so I think my hope, or my hope for this message is that you will see that, okay, there is something that God is calling me to seek after that I might be encouraged by him. And if we take this uh, wisdom of Jesus, if we take this to heart, the outcome and the effect of this text in our lives is that we would walk together as a community that is more knit together and that is more deeply encouraged by virtue of seeking this particular spiritual gift, prophecy. Paul is going to call us to seek the spiritual gift of prophecy. Uh, We're going to see a couple of things from this text. First, uh, we need to understand prophecy. We need to seek it, and then we need to know what it looks like to come together. Okay, Understand it, seek it, know how to come together. Before we do that, I want us to look at a definition of, uh, of spiritual gifts, and then we're going to turn, uh, turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 14. Check out this definition as we prepare to talk about prophecy, which is one of the gifts of the Spirit, given for the common good of the church, a manifestation of the Spirit, to be done in love. This is from, uh, from Dr. Sam Storms. There's a great book called The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts if you're looking to read more about this. Uh, Sam Storms says this, Spiritual gifts are nothing less than God himself in us, energizing our souls, imparting revelation to our minds, infusing power in our wills, and working his sovereign and gracious purposes through us. Spiritual gifts must never be viewed deistically, as if a God out there has sent something to us down here. Spiritual gifts are God-present in, with, and through human thoughts, human deeds, human words, and human love. This means God gives and manifests spiritual gifts out of love to draw near to us that the church would be built up. So our big idea as we look at this text is this, is that from a heart of love, like God's heart, be eager to build up the church, especially through prophecy. Some like this is what, what is this? This is weird. Well, we're, we're going to get there. Okay, Be eager to build up the church from a heart of love, especially through proxy. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 14. You guys can hear what Paul says and not just what I am saying. We're going to look at the first 19 verses and spend time there and then move from there. 14, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire. Seek after, be excited for, be zealous for. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may what? The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. One who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So the Apostle Paul first is going to show us this. We're thinking about understanding prophecy. We want to understand prophecy because God, through Paul, is telling us in verse 1 to do this. Out of a heart of love, seek after love, Christian love, from chapter 13, as we, as we laid out, love that looks towards the other because that is how God loves us. Seek love, and then out of seeking love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Why? Because the spiritual gifts are God manifesting himself among us in order that others may be built up to love God and love their neighbor. So Paul says, seek after these. It is a loving thing to seek after these spiritual gifts from a heart of love, not from a heart of self-centeredness. And here's the gift I especially want you to seek after, the Apostle Paul says to Corinth, and he says to us, especially seek after the spiritual gift of prophecy. Seek after. This is a command in verse 1. This is not a suggestion. This is not an opinion. This is not a, "Mm, if you want to, this is a command. Pursue love. Seek the spiritual gift, especially prophecy. And then the Apostle Paul does this. He begins to put prophecy side by side with tongues. He begins to put tongues in one corner with the red shorts, and he puts prophecy in the other corner with the blue shorts. And he puts them together in a sort of comparison boxing match in order to make this particular point, that prophecy is to be sought after more so than speaking in tongues because prophecy, more so than speaking in tongues, builds up the church. That's Paul's point. That's the first thing we need to understand about prophecy, is that prophecy builds up the church in a deep and important way. And for the Corinthians, they they valued speaking in tongues. We can can deduce that from this text. That's why Paul spends all this time making this point. He wants them to understand that you guys love speaking in tongues. And he says, I I speak in tongues more than all of you. I wish that all of you spoke in tongues. This is is a, a legitimate and good thing that the Spirit manifests in us. But notice what he says throughout the text. The one who speaks in tongues builds up who? Verse 4, builds up themselves. But the one who prophesies builds up who? Builds up the church. Now, why is there this difference? Well, speaking in tongues is usually unintelligible. Paul gives us this analogy in verses uh, 6 through 10. He gives us the analogy of the flute or the harp or the uh, bugle, this, this instrument used to call into battle. And he gives the analogy of if, a, if a musical instrument doesn't play a distinct note, something that we can understand, what's the point? If someone tries to communicate to you in a language that you can't understand, it doesn't help you at all. It may help them, it may encourage them, but it doesn't build up the whole. And that's what Paul is saying about the gifts of tongues, that it is sort of a, often a private prayer language that deeply encourages the person participating in it. But when it's done in the church setting, which Paul is talking about here in chapter 14, it doesn't really build up anybody because we don't know what's being said. Which is why Paul says in 13, therefore, if you're going to seek to build up the church and you speak in tongues, pray for an interpretation. Otherwise, don't do that among the people of God. Do that on your own. Paul wants us to understand that prophecy uniquely builds up the church. Which then brings us to this particular point. If prophecy uniquely builds up the church more so than tongues, which is probably the question all of you came into this place wondering this morning, should I really be pursuing tongues or prophecy? That's probably what's been keeping you up this whole week. Paul is showing us that. But then the question that you have in your mind is, well, what exactly is prophecy? Right? When we hear prophecy, we think of the person that says, the world is going to end in 1998. Actually, it's going to end in 2003. Well, actually, I forgot to carry the one. It's really going to end in, in 2014, right? All, all of that stuff, you know? Uh, we think about prophecy, we think about the Y2K thing, right? And how that was a thing just in our general culture. But then, you know, within certain church streams, that was even more of a thing. So we think of prophecy, we, we think primarily of telling the future. Um, we think of, uh, of just being able to pre- predict things. So, so what, what is this gift uh, exactly? If we're going to obey verse 1... Uh, We need to know what this is. And and not only do we need to know what this is to obey verse 1, but God wants us to obey verse 1 and seek prophecy because God wants you to be encouraged. There is encouragement that is missing in most churches for a variety of reasons. But one of those reasons is because we do not understand this chapter of Scripture, and we don't know what it looks like to apply any of the commands and instructions and encouragements given to us through the gift of prophecy. If we step into this, encouragement from Jesus himself will follow us. So so what is prophecy? Well, there's a couple things we we have to understand. When we look at the whole story of Scripture, we see uh, in the Old Testament, we see prophets come on the scene and they would usually declare these words, right? Thus saith the what? The The Lord, right? So there's prophets. We know we're familiar with certain books of our Bibles. There's sections or books or authors called the major prophets or called the minor prophets, right? The the sort of the mouthpiece for God. And in an oral culture, in those particular times, it was God giving a direct, uh, unalterable, uh, true, inerrant word to these particular people. And they would stand up and they would say, definitively, this is the word from the Lord. Prophecy in the New Testament is not the same. It's not the same authority as prophecy seen when someone would st- stand up and say, thus says the Lord. Today, the, the word from the Lord that is authoritative over us is, is Scripture. And so the gift of prophecy in the New Testament sits under the authority of Scripture. If it contradicts Scripture, it's, it, it's, it's, it's not from the Lord. Right? And that's changed because we're in a new era of redemptive history where Jesus himself, according to, to Hebrews 1, is the, the word that God has spoken to us. And so we're in a new era, new age. So prophecy is not the same as it was before. It's unique. It sits under the authority of the word. But one of the other things about prophecy, in order for us to understand it, that is, that is particularly unique, is that we're in a new age of redemptive history where, in the, uh, under the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament Scriptures, we said that there are only particular people. Who are appointed to be this, 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 this uh, mouthpiece of God. And now as, as prophecy has shifted and changed in the, the new covenant, in the new era of God's story of redemption, the, the gift of prophecy that sits under the authority of God's written word is poured out, is made available to any and all of God's children. We see uh, Peter declare this in Acts chapter 2, where he quotes from Joel 2 and says that the Spirit is poured out on all God's sons and daughters that they may prophesy. This is available to all of God's people in a new way. The floodgates, so to speak, are open. Prophecy operating under the authority of God's Word, but available to all of God's children who have the Holy Spirit, because all of God's children have the Holy Spirit. So all may prophesy, but none of us should go around calling ourselves prophets, but this gift is available to all of us, okay? So then what is it? You can think about it like this. Prophecy is a human report of a divine revelation. It's a human report of a divine revelation. If you think about it uh, in, this, in this way. It's a word from the Lord through a member of his body, inspired by his spirit, given to build up the rest of the church. It's a, divine, a human report of a divine revelation. It's the sense that God is telling you something. For the encouragement, upbuilding, consolation, comforting of another, that God has given you a word through His Spirit, that you are to pass on, and communicate, think about, know, in order for the building up and encouragement of others. Prophecy is not teaching. Prophecy is not uh, uh, educated guess. Prophecy is, is not uh, simply scriptural wisdom. It's, it's not exclusively prediction. It's not just a hunch, right? It is, it is really something that, that is coming, the sense of this is coming from, from God. I think this is coming from God. You know, one example of this we see in Acts, uh, Acts chapter uh, 21, where the Apostle Paul is kind of moving towards Jerusalem, and there's a prophet Agabus who basically they're around a campfire. This is a Claude, uh, the Claude translation edition. Um, and, and there's a belt involved, and, and uh, Agabus holds up the belt says, Basically, he's like, I got a word from the Lord. Who's ever belt this is, they're gonna they're gonna go to Jerusalem tied up with their neck around this belt, and they're gonna die. And, and he's basically saying, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, like you're gonna be you're gonna be taken away in chains, and, and you're gonna be arrested, and it's not gonna go well for you, right? And, and Agabus has this 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 word. This this uh, he, he is humanly reporting what what uh, what God has has implanted in his mind and in his heart, and he communicates that to Paul. So, so that's that's an example of, of of prophecy. Now, Paul shows us how we receive prophecy. First, uh, First Thessalonians uh, uh, five tells us that when we hear a word of prophecy and we're, it is given to us, someone comes to you and says, "Hey, hey, I think I think God is." Um, God is really just giving me this sense that that to remind you of blank. Or God is giving me this sense that you should that you should really be, uh, be encouraged by blank. Or or God is giving me uh, this this image. I was praying for you, He gave me this image uh, of of an armada. You know what an armada is? bunch of boats working together, somebody gave somebody, uh, somebody that was a prophecy that someone had spoken to Kelsey and I a few years ago. Um, and, and the scripture tells us when, when we are given a word of prophecy that we're to test it and evaluate it and pray through it and think, is this really from God? Is this biblical? Does this make sense for who I am? Does this, what, what is this? To, to not just hear it and take it and do it and run with it, but to actually think over it. And when Paul gets this word from Agabus, Agabus's sort of implication is, based on this word that I've gotten from the Lord, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. It's not going to go well for you. But Paul receives that prophecy and evaluates it in a different way. He says, yeah, I already know I'm going to suffer in Jerusalem. This is confirmation for me to go. So when we're given prophecy, when someone comes to us and says, hey, I think the Lord uh, wants wants you to hear this, we're to weigh it. We we, we know it's it's not scripture. It's under the authority of scripture. So we pray through it. We we discern it. And we think, God, is is this really something that you have for me? So we're to seek and understand prophecy. Paul says to seek it. Now, how, 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 do, we actually, how do we actually do that? Let's look at verse uh, verse 19. The Apostle Paul says this. Nevertheless, in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind. He means operating uh, in, in an understandable way, prophecy, in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Again, making that contrast. Prophecy builds up where tongues usually builds up the individual. So seek the one that builds up the community. 20. Brothers and sisters, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. So be mature in how you think about the spiritual gifts. Think to build up others. Understand them. Seek them. 21. In the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. And even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. He's quoting from Isaiah. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Amen. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Okay, so this is going to give us an uh, understanding on what prophecy does and how we are, to, how we are to, uh, to seek it. Paul is going to show us something here, um, that prophecy uh, is not just building up the community because it's understandable, but it has the power to, to actually minister to nonbelievers to show them that God is actually real. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in verse 25 about prophecy. When it happens... Uh, when an unbeliever is present, a non is present in the church gathered, but also when it happens just when the church is gathered, this is the upshot, this is the takeaway when the gift of prophecy is enacted. Look at verse 25. We will declare that God is really among you. Remember what a spiritual gift is, the definition that we started with. The gifts of the Spirit are manifestations of God with us. God doesn't just send it down like he's sending a letter down from heaven. Here you go, throwing some crumbs from the divine bread table. Here you go, this crumb will encourage you. Here's a treat, this will encourage you. No, it's God actually among us. And prophecy builds us up because we walk away from the experience of hearing a prophetic word spoken into us. We walk away from that experience knowing that God is really close to me. God orchestrated this word to this person in order to encourage me. God is near. This is why we seek prophecy. We seek prophecy because it builds up. Look at what Paul says again in verse 1. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Do you know what Paul could have said here? Earnestly desire that you, uh, to build up the church and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may teach. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be simpler for us, right? Wouldn't most of us just wouldn't most of us, if we were to give, be given that verse as a mad lib, wouldn't we just fill that in and say, teach? Right? But Paul wants us, he, he does tell us about teaching later in this text and how important it is. But he says, earnestly seek the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Why? Again, the back half of 25. Prophecy reminds us that God is particularly with us, that He's near. Think about it this way. There is almost nothing more potent to strengthen the church than prophecy because nothing goes so far as to remind us in a surprising, spirit-filled and unique way that God is really among us and He cares for us. i give you one example of this. When I, I moved away from from uh, North Seattle uh, to Lowell, Massachusetts, uh, when, I was, when I was 12, um, this, when you're around 12, there's this thing that happens in your life called puberty. Maybe you're familiar with it. It was not a great time to move. Uh, it was a very interesting, interesting time in my life, um, but, but made that big move and, uh, and, and really missed my best friends who were, I grew up as an only child, my best friends who were like my brothers that, that, lived, in, uh, that lived in Seattle. And so that was a, was a hard year for me, being, being away from them. Um, but, but I got to come back the next summer. And so part of coming back uh, the next summer was, was sort of the planning of how, how, how am I going to, what am I going to do this summer? But then also talking with my friend's mom, she said, hey, do you, do you want to surprise Tyler and AJ? And I was like, yes, that would be great. So she's like, all right, we'll keep it under wraps. You're going to show up unannounced surprise, and, and, and we'll, just, we'll just bring you there. I mean, we, best friends here 12, It's a big age of bonding, right? You guys, you guys agree with that? Yeah, give me a nod if you agree with that. 12 is an important age. Thank you. Good, good, good. Um, so 12 is an important age of bonding. So, so I'm coming back, and, and we're going to surprise Tyler. And so I pull up at his basketball game, uh, and, uh, and it's, uh, it's basically like halftime. He goes up to the car to get a Gatorade, and, and there I am, his best friend, basically his brother that he hasn't seen for a year. And he just loses it. He just loses it. And it was such a cool moment. But then he goes back into his basketball game and is just so distracted that he plays horrible. He's like, why didn't you tell me? I'm emotionally not prepared for this. But it was this really cool moment of just my presence, by surprise, encouraging my friend. And he knows that I love him. He knows that I'm like his brother, no matter how far we are in distance. But the actual reality of me being there, surprising him, being near to him was an encouragement. Prophecy operates in the same way. When we hear a sermon, when we hear uh, teaching, when someone teaches us one-to-one scripture, when someone uh, teaches us scripture through facilitating in community group, God by His Spirit is manifesting the gift of teaching and is present, and it's God that is the one who is teaching us. He's building us up. And that's encouraging. We are reminded rationally and emotionally in many ways that God loves us, that we are accepted by God through the grace of Jesus, not through our own perfections and works. But the gift of prophecy is sort of a surprise experience of that reality. When God works sovereignly through somebody else and through a situation that you were not expected to be given a message that was just timely for you, you walk away not just knowing rationally God loves you and that he's near to you, you walk away experiencing it. You walk away saying, God, you surprised me. God, I'm reminded, you knew that's exactly what I needed to hear today. God, you worked in such a way because, because I know, I know my friend didn't know that, or I know my friend wasn't aware of that, but you spoke to me through them and you have encouraged me. And not only have you encouraged me, you've encouraged them. This is why Paul says, seek this gift. Because through this gift, encouragement and the love of God will flow through this community in an experiential way, that is not pitted against teaching, but stands right alongside of teaching in order that the love of God may be tasted and felt in our church. That's why Paul says, seek it, it will build us up. Seek prophecy because it encourages us. This is very much related. It encourages us. Uh, one, story of, uh, one story about this that I heard was from a... Uh, was from a, 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 a husband and wife who had planted the church, and, and we in a spot where they just felt uh, incredibly, uh, incredibly discouraged that they weren't being fruitful, that nothing was was happening, and it was sort of a waste of time. This is not a weird story about me that I'm saying is third person. I was like, no, this is somebody else. Uh, and, and so they they were really really discouraged. Um, and so uh, as discouraged people uh, often to do, they were just kind of sitting and moping on a Saturday morning, and they were eating almonds. Um, and so that's what they were doing. And they got a text from a, from a woman in the church uh, that morning that just said this. Uh, she said, hey, I, I just felt a strong, uh, a strong just impression on my mind from God that I just needed to remind you that uh, what you're doing matters and that you're fruitful. And that, uh, that you're like an almond tree that's bearing incredible fruit, even though you can't see it. And he was like, I'm eating almonds right now. What is this? Uh, and it was, just a, it was just another picture of This is an example of how sort of that prophetic gift can, can work out Now you could say oh that's just coincidence Oh that's just all of this Oh that's just all of that other stuff Yeah but if you're a Christian we believe Jesus raised from the dead So if Jesus wanted to manifest prophecy in this way Like I mean come on like Would that be hard for him? No it's just a picture of encouragement, and what's really interesting about that, that's actually a really biblical image, this idea of the almond tree. We see this, we see this in Jeremiah where God comes to Jeremiah and says, hey, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work among this people like, like an almond tree. There, there's going to be fruit that's going to come later, and all, we see that also in negative ways. You're like a tree that I'm going to cut down, and all that type of stuff, too. So if you get that word of prophecy, don't tell anybody that. Just tell them the encouraging part. But this is something even we see with, with biblical imagery, that, that prophecy encourages us. And so I want to encourage you to seek prophecy, because through it, God will encourage the people around you. Because God wants us to be encouraged. We see in verse 3 that prophecy builds us up. We're, we're to seek, it, it, it provides encouragement, but we're also to think it, uh, seek prophecy because in verse 3 we're told that prophecy brings us consolation, it brings us comfort, it cheers, it cheers us up. Prophecy consoles us. But think of what it would be like to sort of be going through a trial on your own, Having not really spoken about it with a couple of people, you're still in that process where you're just kind of uh, understanding and absorbing maybe, maybe some really tough news. And think of what would, it would be like to, to be in that spot and then to have a friend call you and to say to you, you know what? I feel like God just wants me to remind you that he's near to you, and that he loves you, and that he's faithful to you. Think of how that would encourage you. Think of how that would console you. Think of how that would build you up. This is why the Apostle Paul wants us to seek this, that the church might be built up, encouraged, comforted, and consoled. Paul also wants us to seek prophecy, not only for those reasons, but as we see in verses uh, 24 and 25, to seek prophecy because it shows not yet believers that God is real and God is among us. Right, Paul has this, this verse that uh, every time I read it, I'm always confused. It's one of those verses where I read it, I study it, and I'm like, I understand this, And I go back to it a year later, i was like, I, I'm still confused by this. Um, he, he says this, he says um, in verse, uh, verse 22, tongues are not a sign for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. You, you hear the confusion there? Uh, here's, what, here's what the Apostle Paul is, is doing. He's, he's saying this, he's saying tongues are a negative sign of condemnation, uh, not for believers, but for unbelievers Because they hear that spiritual gift And they think, y'all are crazy And God is not real But in reality, God, God is actually real So, so it's this it's a negative sign of, of condemnation Meanwhile, prophecy is a positive sign Not for uh, believers, or not for unbelievers, but for believers because it encourages them. But it also can be a sign of of of, uh, of exposure to unbelievers because through prophecy, it's something that's understandable. It can actually lead an unbeliever to see that God is real. Paul is saying, it operates in these different ways among these different people. But let me tell you this. Here's one of the reasons we want to seek the gift of prophecy. It might just be that friend or that family member that you are praying for constantly saying, God, would you show up in their life? God, would you make yourself known to them? Jesus, would you remind them of your love? All of that type of stuff. All of those prayers for their salvation. It might just be that God is working and wants to bring them to the knowledge of his reality and his love and his grace, not through the rational argument that you have been hoping to articulate, but through an experience of God in and through the gift of prophecy. It's possible. There's an example of this from Charles Spurgeon, a a famous preacher who uh, has many stories of this, uh, who would be preaching, and he would just get this sense like, Again, cross translation, but uh, like, yo, this person, somebody in that section stole a bunch of gloves last week. (laughs) And he would just do stuff like this. And then you would find out like three weeks later that some person, there's a new Christian in their church was like, man, I stole 12 gloves last week. How did this man know? Right, there would just be these moments in his preaching where he would just have this sense that he would just say something. That, that just feel like the spontaneous thing, or is like, are you just, yes, do you have like, are you just like pulling things, uh, fortune cookies, and just putting things together, someone stole this, but it would actually be these moments where the Holy Spirit was working to, again, uh, give a, a sort of a divine message, and he would report it in a human way, right, which is, is fallible, but, but, but oftentimes we have to weigh it and discern it, and people would be saved through that. So we see prophecy because it encourages because it builds us up, but also, because through it, God may be working, as we see in this text, to show someone that God is among us, to show someone that God is real. This is a short, short aside, but if you spend any amount of time thinking of, looking at how people outside of the U.S. are converted to Jesus, especially in places where there's not much access to the gospel, you will almost always see it's through prophetic things. It's almost always through people having dreams about this person named Jesus who seems amazing, and then later finding some material where they can read about Jesus and say, this is the person from my dreams! And they embrace and trust in the gospel and come to know the God who loves them. So we seek prophecy because it encourages, but also because God may want to work through that in your friend's life to deeply encourage them and remind them that God is real. And that becomes the moment that they understand, okay, Jesus is is true. So the question that that we're thinking about, how how do we seek this? How do we we seek the gift of prophecy? How, How does this happen? There's a scene in in a uh, book of Acts where uh, where a character comes up to uh, to Peter and, and to his crew. Peter's been the Spirit has been manifesting in Peter and, and doing uh, miraculous things, and, and he basically comes up and he's kind of like, Hey, can I buy this? Like, how could I how could I find a way to acquire this, right? And that, that's obviously not how prophecy works. How how do we how do we seek after this? There's a couple things I think we can do. The first thing we do to seek prophecy is to understand who it is that resides in you. Understand who it is that resides in you. That the Holy Spirit, if you have trusted Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and God wants to manifest his love and his encouragement in a Christ-centered way in you and through you. You have the Holy Spirit. Understand who is in you. This means to be expectant actually expect that God might work through you in a way that will build up others but maybe in a way that's outside of what you thought could happen be expectant this means walk with a holy sense of confidence you can be used powerfully by God to build up his church not because you're so great but because the Holy Spirit dwells in you it is possible Second thing we do is this, is to actually seek prophecy by, guess what? By seeking prophecy. Seek prophecy by seeking prophecy. Here's how you do that. Ask God to use you to build up other people in any way that he sees fit. Ask God to use you to build up others in any way that he sees fit. Right? Pray a prayer like this this week. Say, Lord, use me this week. Use me this week to encourage one person in our church and one person outside of our church. God, use me to bring encouragement to two people in a specific way this week. Present that opportunity, and God, help me to not be scared, lazy, or apathetic to run away from the opportunity when I see it. Use me, God, to encourage someone this week. Pray that prayer. Pray this prayer. God, direct me by your Spirit. To someone specific that I can encourage. And God, is there anyone in my life that needs to be reminded of how you care for them? Add these to your rotation of prayers. I guarantee you, you will see this begin to bubble up in your life. And guess what? Even if, it's not, even if you're not sure, if you're sharing something that's biblical and truthful, hey, I just want to remind you that God loves you. You're like, I'm not sure if that was prophecy. Guess what's going to happen? That person is going to be encouraged. There's almost no way to go wrong with this unless you're very strange. (laughs) Unless you think this is the gift for you to finally get into that relationship. The the Lord has given me this word about you. right? Don't do any of that stuff. But as long as you're actually seeking to build up people, there's almost no way that you can go wrong from this. You're reminding people of God's presence, his comfort, his love, the gospel, his spirit at work in us. When we share these words of prophecy, we never share the Lord has definitely declared to me. It's always, hey, i got this sense that God just wanted me to remind you about this. Would you, would you hear this? Would you pray about it? Would you think about it? We share knowing we're under the authority of the word. The other way that we do this is to get close enough to people that you know the challenges in their lives, that you can pray in specific ways for them, and you can ask God, based on what this person is going through, Is there anything you want to speak to them through me or through somebody else? God will honor that. Maybe he'll give you a verse. Maybe he'll give you an image. We were given this image. We were in San Diego. It was a hard time in our church planning journey. uh, And and this uh, this person that we had just met uh, came out and said, hey, can I prophesy over you guys? I got a sense that God has a word for me. I was like, absolutely, man. I'm right here, right? And so he put his hands on us and he prayed for us. said, I keep getting this image of an armada. And I was like, what's an armada? And he's like, it's a bunch of boats. I was like, Cool. And we just sat with it, and I talked to one of my friends, and, and he was like, you know, you should pray through that, man, because I, I think that could really mean something. That could mean that you feel like one boat at sea, and God, in armada is strong. There's more than one in armada that maybe God is bringing boats around you. Maybe God is bringing boats around you in Kelsey to encourage you that, that this is something that you can look forward to. And so we prayed through that, and and then if you were in our house between 2014 and 2016, you would have seen above our couch, next to a bunch of pictures of birds, but you would have seen one picture of an armada that we put up on our wall because of this word of prophecy, that we prayed through and we understood, understood, like, this is actually really encouraging. And we've seen God answer that in so many ways. People brought around us to encourage us and to help us and to remind us of God's love for us. So when you hear a word, uh, uh, seek it by asking God to give you specific words to to encourage others. Uh, Lastly, you can do this. You can seek prophecy by being a man or woman of the book. Be a man or woman of Scripture. Know Scripture. Grow in your understanding of it. Grow in your daily reading of it. Grow in your reflection of it. Anything that we are going to declare to somebody else is going to be tethered, attached to, or coming from the truth of what God has already declared to us. And so as we become people of the book, the ability for the Spirit to bubble up words of encouragement through us prophetically increase. So seek prophecy by being a person of the book. Lastly, the Apostle Paul is going to show us what it looks like when we come together. We come together for the building up of the church. We're going to look at these last couple of verses and give a couple of comments. 26, Paul says this, based on everything he said, he wants to summarize. When you come together, come together to build up people. Not in this NYC, uh, seek your, your moment in the town hall. Come together to build one another up. He says this in verse 26. What then, brothers or sisters, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there only be two or at most three. And yet in turn, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. So he says, speaking in tongues, if it's not your turn, be silent, chill, that people can be built up. 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is to be made to another sitting there, Let the first be silent. Have order so that people can be built up. Don't talk over one another. 31. For you all can prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion but of peace. Now hear this verse. We'll explain this for you. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it is reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers and sisters, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently, And in order So Paul here is summarizing What does it look like for the church to gather So that the church can be built up Don't be all, spend all your time seeking tongues Seek prophecy because it builds up And then here Paul is going to give sort of this Closing gap of instructions He's going to say when people are speaking in tongues If you're speaking in tongues, speak in tongues If you're not, be silent so that it's not chaos If you're prophesying He's going to say if you're, your turn, you're, you're up to the plate to prophesy, prophesy. But if it's not your turn to prophesy, be silent. And then the section that's sticking out in your minds, it seems, what is this? Paul's going to say to the women, or, or rather actually more accurately, the wives, he's going to say, if it's not your turn to pray or to prophesy, be silent so that there can be order and building up in the church. Now, if we look at a verse like these verses from uh, 34 or 33 to 35, where it says, "Women, be be silent, don't don't speak," it seems seems jarring. But here here's something that can help us when we look at a passage of scripture that seems difficult or hard: is to look at what is called the context. To zoom out from this chapter and to go to the whole book in the context of the whole author and the context of the whole scripture. If we look at this uh, section of scripture and we look at the whole book, we find out, we've already seen in chapter 11, that the Apostle Paul has invited and encouraged women to do two things in the church. To pray, in particular, two things. To pray and to prophesy. So here when Paul says women be silent, we know that he's not saying don't pray and prophesy. He's speaking to a particular order in the church that in the first century women are not a part of religious gatherings. Women are not educated. Paul is here paying attention not to how women participate in the church, but how women learn in the church. And he says to the women as they are learning in the church, rather really to the wives in the church, that when you come into the church to learn, If you're not praying or prophesying, don't flood the church gathering with your questions. Ask your husband at home, and here's a first century context for us, for a married woman to talk in an extended way to another person's husband in a public gathering, in a home gathering, would be deeply inappropriate, which is why Paul says this is shameful. So Paul is saying, women, participate in the church. I've already told you in chapter 11, pray and prophesy. That's how you do it. But if you have a question, don't bombard the gathering with questions. Don't bombard the gathering with questions in a way that actually breaks these laws of propriety in our culture, in our city, because that is bringing chaos and distraction. Be like the prophets when it's not their turn, they're silent. Be like the people speaking in tongues when it's not their turn, be silent in order that the church may be built up. Here's another way to uh, to even hear those verses. Uh, Eugene Peterson's translation, wives must not disrupt worship, talking when they should be listening, asking questions that could be more appropriately asked of their husbands at home. God's book of the law guides our manners and our customs. Wives have no license to use the time of worship for unwarranted speaking. Do you, both women and men, imagine that you're a sacred oracle determining right and wrong? Do you think everything revolves around you? So, Paul's upshot here is that women pray and prophesy. He's already laid that out for us in chapter 11, but he's encouraging a semblance of order in the church that everyone can be built up and that it's not this movement of chaos. This brings us to the close of First Corinthians 14. But I want us to close by even thinking of this. Be zealous to build up the church from a heart of love, particularly through th- seeking prophecy. But I want us to understand that as we try to seek this gift of prophecy to build up the church through words of encouragement, what we're really trying to do is model Jesus. That Jesus is described as our prophet, as our priest, and as our king. But Isaiah, when it speaks of Jesus, speaks of him in this way. It says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with the word the person who is weary. Jesus is the one who ultimately comes and speaks the word of God's blessing, God's salvation, and God's encouragement over us. Some of you right now are weary, and Christ's word to you is this. Fear not, little flock, for I am with you. Some of you right now are weighed down by your sin. Hear the word of Jesus, our prophet, who says, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Some of you are trying to uh, self-improve your way into more of God's favor, trying to piece your life back together to sort of feel a little bit more complete and right with God. Hear Christ, our prophet's words from the cross that it is finished. When we seek to encourage through the word of prophecy, all we are doing is walking in the model of Christ our Savior, who speaks the word of salvation, that he not just speaks, but that he's secured by the action of giving his life for us in our place upon the cross. And God does this from a heart of love. And so us, we follow suit from a heart of love, seeking then to build up through the words of encouragement that come from Jesus' spirit in our hearts by faith in his name. The question for us becomes this, will we, like Jesus, be eager, be excited, be zealous, take a step forward to build up others through whatever gifts the Spirit manifests in us? Or will we walk in the way of the Corinthians, seeking our own way, seeking self-status, and seeking whatever seems to be convenient or pleasurable at the moment? That's the question God has before us. Let's take a moment to pray in silent reflection and ask God, what do you have for me from this text today? If you're here and you're not a Christian, I would...